You're listening to the Mind Manual Podcast, Episode 32, Mind Over Munchies, Rethinking Our Relationship with Food. If you want a particular result in your life, but you're unable to get it, tune in to start training your brain and expanding your emotional intelligence to unlock the most powerful and underutilized performance tool that we have. It's the most important work you could do because... It affects every area of your life. Hello, everyone, wherever you are. In Australia, we are in spring, and I've just been loving the gentle warmth of the spring sun as it brings everything back to life again. The birds are busy nesting, and the rate of growth of leaves on those trees would make some spectacular time-lapse footage. Meanwhile, the people, particularly women, will be busy trying to get their bodies back into shape as we start to hit the sands of the amazing beaches that we have here. I was speaking with a pharmaceutical rep the other day from Novo Nordisk, who makes the miracle weight loss drug Ozempic. It's also a diabetic drug, and in Australia, Wagovi is yet to hit the shelves. So we have this delicate balance while it's still in very short supply to make sure that our diabetics get the supply they need amidst the frenzy of the weight loss market. He was telling me in all the 35 years as a pharmaceutical rep, he has only experienced this sort of rush on something which has been a license for them to print money. Just this one time, he's never seen anything like it before. I asked him if they were going to invest any money on clinical trials to demonstrate if withdrawing from the drug will result in weight gain again. I mean, Do they really want to advertise to people that they'll be a customer for life? That once you start, you can't stop? He just gave me a cheeky smile. So it's currently being manufactured in Denmark, but they can't keep up with the demand. So they're literally in the middle of building other manufacturing plants in other parts of the world as we speak. Which leads me into this topic today. For those who want to find a lasting cure, without having to finance our pharmaceutical giants' further expansion plans. This one's for you. Let's go back to the beginning, to when we came into this world at birth. We are programmed to predominantly feed and sleep. As a baby, we are totally reliant on our parents to supply us with everything we need to live. So when we get hungry... We continue to escalate our attention-seeking ways until we end up in a full-blown dramatic performance of, I'm going to die if you don't give me some food right now. They literally have to put food in our mouths if they want any peace. Then as we get older, we are programmed to think of food as entertainment, as a way to celebrate, as a way to feel good, feel loved feel connection, feel happy, and have a good time. Advertising has wielded a powerful influence in the way we perceive food. Many advertisements show families and friends gathering around a meal, whether it's a family dinner, a barbecue with neighbours, or a festive celebration. That association between food and bonding is regularly emphasised. Nestle's Nescafe ads will often depict coffee as a medium of connection between people whether it's old friends reuniting or a couple sharing a moment or family members spending quality time. 
when it comes to holidays and festivals, think of how Coca-Cola has associated itself with Christmas or how turkey ads pop up around Thanksgiving. Associating food and beverages with holidays and festivals helps embed them in our cultural traditions and celebrations. When a celebrity is seen enjoying a specific food product, it adds a layer of glamour and attraction. People often feel that if their favourite celebrity is having a good time eating that product, they might too. Brands like McDonald's with Ronald McDonald and Tony the Tiger for Kellogg's Frosted Flakes have effectively used mascots to convey fun, energy and enjoyment. In Taco Bell's fourth meal campaign, it was aimed at a younger audience and positioned Taco Bell's as the go-to place for late-night food runs, suggesting it's a fun and almost rebellious act. Red Bull has associated itself with extreme sports and adventures and pushing limits, creating an aura of excitement and thrill around its drink. Budweiser, Clydesdale's commercials, especially the ones aired during the Super Bowl, often target heartstrings and depict scenes of camaraderie, tradition and celebration. Patchy tunes and memorable jingles stick in our minds. These jingles often associate the product with fun, joy and good times, making their product more appealing. Fun activities and prizes will often feature on cereal boxes with toys inside or fast food chains offering playgrounds for children. These incentives associate the food product with play and enjoyment. Ads will often place food in settings that people already associate with fun, such as picnics, beaches, parties or movies. And then we have emotional storytelling. Some ads create mini stories where the food or drink plays a pivotal role in achieving happiness or resolving a conflict making the product synonymous with positive outcomes. Many food ads will use humour to create light-hearted and fun association with their products. Brands create a sense of novelty and festivity with the launch of special flavours or limited editions for particular seasons or festivals. Restaurants and food brands will often portray an experience beyond food to advertise the whole experience rather than just the food. This might include the ambience, the service, or the feeling you get when you consume their product. Some advertisements connect food with travel and exploration. For instance, trying a particular cuisine makes you feel like you're experiencing another culture. The aim of these advertising tactics is not just to make people hungry, but to evoke a whole array of emotions. When food is intertwined with memorable moments and emotions like joy, nostalgia or excitement, over time and with consistent messaging, it becomes more than just sustenance. It becomes a part of our experience and memories. It becomes embedded in our cultural and emotional landscapes. So food has been programmed into us to represent almost everything except a source of fuel and well-being for our body. And in doing so, we've also adopted it as a friend, a friend in the form of a tub of ice cream that can make us feel better when we're emotionally down, a friend who knows how to have a good time 
when we introduce it as the main feature of the night. A friend who knows how to keep us from feeling bored. A friend who can make us feel contented when our stomach is full. It's the friend who comes in to provide you with a reward in the form of chocolate or alcoholic drink after a long, hard day. The friend that can temporarily buffer you from feeling those uncomfortable negative feelings by distracting you with the joy of food. The friend who comes in and rescues the day because food happened to be the best thing you experienced in the last 24 hours. The friend that helps hard work that much easier because we keep breaking it all up with a snack here and a snack there. In so many ways, we have wrapped this commodity up, not just in the experience of feel-good emotions, but also as a friend. As part of the work we do in Mind Scholars, we introduce a totally different take on food. We look at rewiring our minds in order to retire the excess weight for good. It's about unwinding the neural circuits that have hooked us into overeating so that losing weight becomes effortless. And as with anything, there is always a good and bad side, the equal and opposite that exists for everything, including food. Expressions such as two different sides of the same coin, a double-edged sword, every rose has its thorn, every cloud has a silver lining, the yin and the yang, Behind every success, there are a dozen failures. Every pro has its con. One man's meat is another man's poison. On and on they go. They all convey the idea that there is both the good and the bad contained in everything. And I've spoken about how we treat food as a friend. So it follows that we will inevitably have its opposite show up, which will be the enemy, except we're not seeing it as the smiling assassin that it truly can be. We're also not seeing it as the truly amazing saviour that it can also be. These associations are going to be a powerful tool in reprogramming the way we relate to food. I want you to start thinking of food as a drug. It's both a medicinal drug and also a recreational drug. We get a hit of pleasure from it, with the release of dopamine, just as we do from cocaine or heroin. This is particularly heightened with concentrated forms of food, such as sugar and refined carbohydrates. Now, I don't know about you, but I would never consider taking a hit of cocaine or heroin to obtain that pleasure hit or feel good high. I hear it's an amazing experience, but I'm still not going to do it because I know where it will lead. I know it's going to be terrible for both my body and ultimately my life. The same can be said for overeating and processed foods. I'm going to get a surge of dopamine and that feel-good high from over-consuming what my body doesn't need. And the price we pay for that is quite high. It's actually making us very sick and is literally killing us. When you look at the statistics and see how many people are dying from chronic diseases that are associated with being overweight, such as diabetes, heart disease, stroke, cancer, and other illnesses that are caused from not getting the nutrients it needs to function properly, the way we are currently associating 
processing and over-consuming food is wreaking havoc on us. It's not just the other recreational drugs. If we wouldn't do it to ourselves with cocaine or heroin, why are we doing it to ourselves with food? We're doing it because it's become socially acceptable. It's now become the new norm to be 20, 30, 50 kilos overweight. It's now socially acceptable to be overindulging at festive occasions with banquets of food that are sprawled out in an all-you-can-eat type of deal that leaves you so full it hurts. At least we got great value from it. This is all considered very normal and natural to engage in these type of activities with food. Whereas if we were to start shooting up heroin or doing lines of cocaine in front of everyone, well, that would be a very different story. It's not acceptable or normal to be doing that in the everyday social circles. But we will always fly under the radar with the glorious life-giving drug of choice being food. So the flip side to this recreational drug found in food is the medicinal drug or life-saving substance that it truly can be. We have food being used to reverse many of our chronic diseases, such as type 2 diabetes. And I recently listened to a TED talk by Dr. Terry Wiles, who is a medical doctor that reversed her multiple sclerosis using food as a medicine to supply all the nutrients that her body needed to start functioning properly. She began to nurture the needs of her mitochondria by feeding them with the nutrients they needed to make her cells function properly. In doing so, she was also feeding her microbiome in her gut, which is responsible for producing a huge amount of neurotransmitters in our body. In fact, 90% of serotonin and 50% of dopamine, plus a whole host of others, along with 70% of our immune system, is all being produced and located in the gut. In episode 25, I talk about the importance of the enteric brain its function and how easily we can get the microbiome in our gut out of balance. And when we get it out of balance, then we have an imbalance in our neurotransmitters, causing all sorts of dysfunction and disease that we identify as being common conditions, but we're actually not connecting that with the health of our microbiome, which is the underlying cause of so many of our modern-day illnesses. Antibiotics, a diet of processed foods, alcohol and other factors will deplete the populations of beneficial bacteria, resulting in an imbalance and therefore dysfunction and disease. In order to grow the population of our friendly bacteria, we need to feed them. The predominant source of food for probiotics in our gut are prebiotics, which are in the form of insoluble fiber that doesn't dissolve. Foods that are great sources of prebiotic food to feed our microbiome include asparagus, Jerusalem artichokes, onions, garlic, stringy beans, wheat bran, celery, cabbage, kale, leeks, and banana. They're an important source of nutrients for the bacteria that ferment that fiber in the colon to produce short-chain fatty acids, which play an important role in influencing the production of neurotransmitters and the release of appetite-regulating hormones, as well as reducing inflammation, among many other things. 
neurochemicals are needed to facilitate that communication between cells. And if you don't have the right neurotransmitters in the right amount, that signal can't get through to neighbouring cells. And different parts of the body stop functioning as it should because you can't receive the message to perform that action. So you can see in this context, food is the saviour. It really is our friend. But if we can identify the ways it is a true friend, as opposed to the smiling assassin type of friend, and develop a strong association of it being a source of energy and nutrients for our cells and our microbiome to make our body function properly, instead of all the other associations that we currently have, it's going to help us see how toxic it is when we use it against ourselves, instead of for ourselves. Other techniques we use to deconstruct the old program is by starting each day with a mindful, conscious intention of being present to how we think and therefore feel. Given most of our default program is on autopilot, we need to stay conscious enough to catch ourselves when we fall back into our old routines. We need to keep calling ourselves out on all the sneaky thoughts, the old beliefs that tie us to the old program and associations, such as, I deserve a reward, also known as chocolate at the end of the day. And staying present to how we feel while we're eating a meal and checking in to see if we're still hungry while we're still eating so that we can stop when our body has been sated instead of stopping after we've had the usual amount we've always had. We're so much in the habit of eating whatever is on our plate or however much we're served. When we stop comparing the amount of food we actually need to the portion sizes we usually have, we open ourselves up to living into the question of what amount does my body actually need based on the amount of fat we've already laid down in reserves on our body. This new practice of treating food as fuel and a supply of vital nutrients means we're eating for what we need instead of what we feel like. When we delegate our food choices to our emotions, we hand over control to the primal part of our brain that will always have us moving towards pleasure. And so we get locked into the emotional eating cycle of our past programming. Another association we can create is in loving the feeling of being slightly hungry as opposed to thinking, I'm starving, I'm going to die, which is always a lie. In loving the feeling of staying light and lean and associating that with being on track towards creating an energy deficit that will require our body to convert stores of fat into the energy we need is going to be a great new default practice that will set you up to enter the world of weight loss that requires no willpower. Once you align with your new habits and mindset in relation to food and living more consciously, it becomes an enlightening experience and transformation from the inside out. The coaching we do in Mind Scholars helps to explore deep-seated beliefs and perceptions about your body food, 
and your health. And then we go into challenge them all to reshape and rewire those circuits so that you can enjoy the process and ensure the results are permanent. So if you're someone who's been traumatized by the traditional diet mentality and all the shenanigans that go on with the latest fads, there is another way. And when you update the software that you've been operating from, there is no turning back. You can't unlearn it, nor would you want to. This is the power of your mind. We're just using it this time with intention and purpose in a way that serves us instead of enslaving us to all the commercial food brands and the never-ending war on weight, which has become a $225 billion industry. So if you want to address the root cause and reload a new program that will heal your relationship with food without having to rely on willpower or weekly injections of the latest weight loss drugs, sign up to become a scholar over at themindmanual.com forward slash join and let's have some fun. Have a great week, everyone. Talk to you soon.